Welcome to this week's episode of the North Bible Church Podcast. Now, let's join our pastor as we open God's Word together. Amen. Amen, amen. Thank you, team. Appreciate that. Well, good morning, uh, North family. How are you doing today? It's good to see you. Good to see you if you're a guest today. We're so grateful that you're here with us. Uh, my name is Chad Allen, lead pastor here at North Bible Church. And uh, for any of you watching online, glad that you're uh, with us. It's just good to be together. Years ago, uh, I had some family members who had their marriage on the rocks. It, it was just a bad situation. The husband uh, was struggling with alcoholism. Uh, there was a lot of verbal mental abuse going on in the marriage toward the wife from the husband. And uh, at one point, the wife finally just gave her husband an ultimatum. She said, look, you've got a year to get help and a year to get us help. So let's deal with the alcoholism. Let's deal with the unhealthy you know, dynamics in our marriage. You've got a year. And if you don't do anything in the year um, to help us, then I'm going to move out and I'm going to pursue a separation. And so a year went by, and sure enough, he didn't make one effort. He didn't make one call. He didn't try to get help. He didn't do anything to try to deal with the issues that their marriage was struggling with. And so a year later, sure enough, uh, the wife moved out and pursued a separation. A little while after that, I was uh, having lunch with the husband. And at one point in the lunch, he just started getting really emotional, and and he just declared his absolute love for his wife. I love her. She's amazing. She's awesome. I mean, I would do anything for her. I want the best for her. And I'll never forget these words. He said, I would die for her. I would just die for her. And I looked at him, and this is, I think the Holy Spirit just put this uh, in my heart to come out my mouth and said, you know, maybe you were willing to die for her, but you were never willing to live for her. You weren't willing to pick up a phone. You weren't willing to make a call to get help. And so it just feels very disingenuous, right? And so the the reality is, I mean, there's a lot of unhealthy and self-deceived thinking when one believes that they would die for a person or die for a cause, but they're not willing to live for the person or live for the cause. And as followers of Christ, there's sort of a similar spirit sometimes in the church and amongst followers of Christ. Man, I, I, would, I would die for Christ. If I was ever put in a situation where I had to die for my faith, I had, to be, I had to experience persecution because of my faith for Jesus, a lot of believers would say, I'll do that. I think the bigger question is, but are you willing to live for Christ? What does it mean to actually lay down your life and live for Christ, not just being willing to die for Christ? And so are you willing to daily live for Christ, to lay down your comforts, to lay down your habits, to lay down your addictions, to lay down your idols, to lay down your preferences, and truly pursue a life that's about living for Christ? Is the gospel of Jesus a gospel of death or a gospel of life? That's what we're going to be thinking about today as we re-engage this teaching series we've been in through the book of Galatians. I invite you to open up your Bibles. We are a Bible teaching church. Hopefully all of you have a Bible. I know some of you are using those Galatian journal Bibles, um, or maybe you have a Bible app on your device. So just turn in or turn on your Bible. We're going to be in Galatians uh, chapter 2 today. 
and we're going to continue in this series. Let's pray and dive in. Father, thank you so much for your generosity and your love and your grace toward us. Uh, the lyrics that we just sang about how good you are and uh, living lives devoted to you, putting you above all. Father, may those lyrics be true for us. We know that sometimes they're not. So Father, even before we open up uh, the, your word and, and look at this, we just confess that sometimes we don't put you first. We might declare that we're willing to die for our faith and die for Jesus, but Lord, in reality, sometimes we just struggle to live for you. So interact with our heart today. Give us eyes to see what you want us to see, ears to hear what you want us to hear, heart to receive what you want us to receive, and hands and feet and mouths to live out what you put on our heart today. We ask in Jesus' name. We all said, amen. amen. So the verses that were read earlier today, we're going to be going back to those verses. And what I want to share with you are three motives that help us live for Christ. Because we know that living for Christ is not easy. It's hard to do. But in that text that was just read here in Galatians chapter 2, uh, there are three motives in verses 15 through 21 there that I think will help us live for Christ. The first motive we saw and heard, and we'll look at again here, is there's a legal motive. Now, when I say legal, I'm not talking about a man-made law that we have to obey or we're going to get a fine or a ticket, anything like that. When I say that we have a legal motive, there is a legal term that captures the power and the beauty of what Jesus Christ did for us when he died on the cross. And so we're going to look back at Galatians chapter 2, verses 15 through 18. This legal term is going to be mentioned four times in these verses. So pay attention because I want to see if you can pick up on the word, all right? So Galatians 2, 15 through 18 says, We ourselves are Jews by birth, not Gentile sinners. Yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law. Because by works of the law, no one will be justified. But if in our endeavor to be justified in Christ, we too were found to be sinners, is Christ then a servant of sin? Certainly not. For if I rebuild what is torn down, I prove myself to be a transgressor. What is the legal term? What is it? Justification. You guys are like, I'm afraid to answer, right? It's justification. It means to declare not guilty, to pardon. Now, in order to really understand what we're, you know, we're diving into the middle of the sentence here, right? What, what's happening? Well, let's, let's go back for those of you who need a refresher or for those of you who weren't here last week and just frame in what we're seeing here. We have God speaking through the Apostle Paul, right, who's under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. He's writing scriptures to uh, this early church in modern-day Turkey. It's in the region of Galatia, ancient Galatia. And these are followers of Christ who heard the good news. They heard the gospel that despite their sin and rebellion, they can be restored back into relationship with God. They can be forgiven of their sins if... They trust in the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's what it takes to be justified. But a group of people called the Judaizers had infiltrated the Galatian church and were trying to create a hybrid faith. And they were saying, no, 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 it's, it's not just Jesus, right? You actually have to become Jewish also. So you have to obey the Old Testament Jewish laws, practices, customs, traditions. And so, yeah, you know, be a follower of Jesus and do this as well. Jesus plus law. 
what the gospel is, is Jesus plus nothing is justification, right? Not Jesus plus law obeying and rituals and religions equals justification. And so this is what's happening. And as Pastor Wes showed us last week, when the Apostle Paul had a moment where he saw the Apostle Peter, who Peter, as a Jewish man, knowing the gospel of, of grace and justification was through faith alone and Christ alone, found himself feeling freedom to eat whatever he wanted to eat, right? Because the Jewish law, eating kosher. So he, he felt like, now that I'm in Christ, I can obey that if I want to, but I don't, I don't have to. So when he was with Gentile um, friends, non-Jewish friends, he felt the freedom to eat whatever he wanted to eat. But all of a sudden, some Jewish folks showed up, and then he went back, right? He, he rubber-banded back to, oh, I better eat kosher, because now these guys are here, and he caved under the pressure. And as Pastor West pointed out last week, that, that was hypocrisy. And what Peter was doing is he was basically reinforcing this view of, well, actually you should practice all these things as well. It's not just about Jesus. And so the Apostle Paul was calling out the Apostle Peter, and we're, we're continuing Paul's thinking. This is still a conversation. So when it says here, we ourselves are Jews by birth, not Gentile sinners, he's saying, Peter, you and me, we are Jewish. We were born Jews, not Gentile sinners, which was a derogatory comment that he was referencing that from the Jewish perspective, anybody who did not have the Jewish law, did not follow Jewish practices and customs, was considered a you know, sinner. And so he was referencing that. But he's basically coming around to saying, we know that you're not justified by just being a good Jew. We know that you're not justified, made right with God, declared innocent by God because of obeying the law. It's because of what you do with Jesus, God's provided sacrifice, God's grace, our Savior. And so that, this is the spirit of what's happening here. And uh, Paul's continuing this thinking. Now, to fully understand what we're reading here, let's just make sure we're all on the same page about three key terms, all right? Let's just define three key terms really fast. Again, justified, it is a legal term. It means to declare one innocent to pardon someone, to declare them not guilty, right? So uh, as followers of Christ, we've been justified through our faith in Jesus, meaning that we are now positionally made right with God. That should continue to be good news for us because sometimes we rubber band back to, well, I have Jesus, but I also have to do good works, and I also have to do all these other religious traditions and exercises and rituals in order to, to really be saved or justified. No, no, no. It's, it's all about being justified because of what Jesus did, not what we do. We'll talk about that in a minute. So that's, that's justified. Also, the law. You're seeing about being justified by the law. Let's make sure we understand what we're talking about when we say the law. This refers to the Old Testament scriptures. But also, what has happened here is a lot of Jewish religious leaders added layers of additional laws, okay? And so we have the Old Testament scriptures plus additional oral and written laws and traditions that the Pharisees basically put onto uh, God's law in the Old Testament. So when we talk about law, we're talking about uh, what we see in Genesis through Deuteronomy, plus all the interpretations and added traditions that got laid onto that in addition. And then, of course, faith. We're talking about faith here. We have to make sure we understand faith is a true, genuine trust. 
Faith is not just saying, oh, I believe there's a God. That's not faith. That's just a head nod toward God. Faith is not just some sort of intellectual head nod toward God. A faith is a true trusting and belief in Jesus Christ. It's not 80% believing. It's not 90% believing. It's 100% believing in the person and work of Jesus Christ. That's what's meant by faith. So, uh, if you're trusting in the law instead of God's grace, that's an incorrect view that sabotages the faith. And that was the teaching that was going on there. But if you're to summarize what Paul's saying here, he's saying that a person, whether of Jewish descent or not, is justified, right? Made right with God, declared innocent in the eyes of God, not by law, trying to do good works and religious rituals, laid out by the Jewish scriptures and traditions, but by faith, truly trusting in the person and work of Jesus Christ, his life, his death, his resurrection. That's what's going to really have you enter into a place of forgiveness and restoration with God. That's what Paul is trying to make sure the Galatians understand, the Judaizers understand, and even his buddy Peter understand. Now, Uh, The reason we focus on Christ is because we have to remember Jesus came, God in the flesh, and he lived the perfect life. He fulfilled the law. All the demands of the law from God, Genesis through Deuteronomy, Jesus fulfilled perfectly. And so he was the only one qualified to be a sin substitute for us on the cross because he lived under the law perfectly. Within the law, there's 10 commandments, right? We can't even keep 10. Jesus kept them all. And so that's why we're so grateful for Christ and trusting in him and what he's done. And so those who've placed their faith in Christ have been declared not guilty before God, made right, declared innocent. Um, uh, Living by the law means we have to do something to please God. Well, grace means God has finished the work for us. We need to trust in Christ and what he did on our behalf. Everything else is trusting in yourself. All the religions that teach that you have to do certain things to be made right with God is promoting a gospel of self-righteousness, self-dependence. It's what I have to do. And so Paul's trying to make sure that the Galatians... Peter, the Judaizers, and God's transcending through time, us still, that we are justified by God through faith in Christ. And that Jesus took upon himself all the demands, all the burdens of the law upon himself on our behalf. I want to I use another passage of scripture to illustrate uh, just how powerful and beautiful that is. I want to come to something that Jesus said in Matthew eleven twenty eight through 30. He said, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Another way to understand what Jesus is saying here is that, and this right here is an old yoke. Uh, Thank you, Plums, for uh, letting me borrow this. And so this was placed, right, 
on, on the back of an animal and then, you know, chained up and then they would carry a weight. And so obviously the weight of what was in the cart or what was being pulled behind the animal was laid upon this yoke. You felt the weight of everything on the yoke. And so what, what the Judaizers were trying to do is they were trying to keep the heaviness of trying to live a life with all the burdens, all the laws, all the traditions, all the rituals, all of that. You, you have to receive Christ, believe in Christ, trust in Christ, and you have to carry the yoke with all the weight of trying to you know, follow all of these religious laws and instructions. And what Jesus is saying, he says, no, 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 I, I took the yoke upon myself. When we think about what Jesus did on the cross, Jesus, who lived a perfect life, took all the demands of the law, all the burdens of the law, and he laid them on himself on the cross. He says, you don't have to do all that to be made right with God. I, I did it for you when I died on the cross. And I gave you evidence that I had the power and authority to do so when they put me in the grave and on the third day I rose from the grave, conquering sin, conquering death. And so therefore, Jesus is saying, my yoke is so much easier. Over here you have all the weight of trying to live this religious life with all its rules. Just, just to kind of put that in perspective even more, I, I printed this out. I think I've got like 30 pages here, all right? There's 30 pages here in this document. And this document is what's called the mitzvot. And what we have here is 613 laws in the Old Testament. 613, that if you wanted to be justified with God, made right with God through law-keeping, you got to keep all of that. that. That was the weight of the yoke. Hundreds of laws. And then on top of that, because the Jews were so devout and, and, and really this is well-intentioned, they wanted to make sure, like, look, if, if that's a law that I'm going to break, they, they call these fence laws. They, they made all these additional laws away from that that they called fence laws to keep me fenced away from breaking the actual laws so that, that I wouldn't even, wouldn't even come close to breaking an actual law of the Old Testament. And a, a lot of those laws were like around the Sabbath, for example. So here's, here's an example of these types of traditions. Not only do you have the 613 laws, but also no spitting on the Sabbath. Because if moisture hits the ground, you might actually hit a seed and it could sprout and now you're planting uh, there's no fixing, like if you see a groove in the dirt on the Sabbath, you, you, you can't smooth it out because that's technically plowing. You, you can't tie knots on the Sabbath because that's technically working. Like, like you, you already have the 613 laws under that yoke, and then you have all these other fence laws to keep you away from the actual laws. Like, who can do that? So, so can you see why Jesus is saying, my, my yoke is easy? My yoke of grace, my yoke of trusting me is easy because I did it all for you. And by the way, I mean, that's, that's still practiced today by devout Jews. Like if you were to look at the Sabbath laws today, some of the fence laws that are still in place, it's not like we're just reading something from, you know, a thousand years ago, hundreds of years ago. That's still going on. Uh, you're, not, you're not allowed to write on the Sabbath. All the students go, yes. No laundry. You can't do laundry on the Sabbath. 
Although ladies are like, oh, I like the Sabbath idea. This is great. Not so fast. You also can't shop. So you can't not do laundry than go shopping because you're still breaking the Sabbath, right? Uh, no riding in a car. No using a phone. Like all these things. There, you can't ride an elevator. If you, go to, if you go to Israel today, in some of the hotels, you will find two elevators today. You've got the regular elevator, and then you've got the Sabbath elevator. Because pushing a button in the elevator is considered work, and you can't work on the Sabbath. So if you're a devout Jew and it's Sabbath, and you are staying in a hotel on the 12th floor, guess what you have to do? You've got to get in at the ground level and wait. If there's other people on the floors to get all the way to the top, you just got to wait. You can't push 12. You just kind of have to wait for it. Now, there's always ways around that. Uh, one of my first trips to Israel, I, I, I learned this. It was very fascinating. A lot of times, the devout Jews will wait for the Gentiles, us Gentiles, to get into the elevator. And then they'll join us. And they'll go, can you press number 12, please? <laughs> so I, I, I do the work for them. But do, do you see how, like, what if that's how God had it? Like, guys, you've got hundreds of laws that you have to obey to be made right with me, to be forgiven, to be justified. And Jesus is going, I did it for you. Come. Take my yoke upon you. It's light. It's easy. It's grace. It's not law-keeping. And so that's a big contrast that we see here as we go through this text that, that we have this legal, we have this legal motivation. The yoke represents what we have to do to get to God. But the cross represents what God did to make us right. Which would you rather live, what's more motivating for you? To live under the yoke of what you have to do or under the cross of what Jesus did? I don't know about you, that motivates me because God took a sinner who was his enemy and pardoned me and made me his child motivates me to want to live for Christ. It should motivate you too. So we have a legal reason to want to be made right with God. So we're motivated to live for Christ because we've been made right with God. There's a legal motivation. Secondly, there's a relational motivation. We look at Galatians 2.20. I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God. Read these next words with me. Ready? Who loved me and gave himself for me. This is relationship here. Our justification was not a cold, impersonal transaction. Jesus did not come to the conclusion of, fine, I'll die for him. All right, but that's what needs to be done. That's not the spirit of the cross. It says here, the Son of God loved me and gave himself for me. It is always humbling and sobering to think about how much God loves us. Just wrap your mind around that again, like you have so many other times before, that despite the fact that we try to avoid him, disobey him, neglect him, we often curse him in our darkest hours. We often ignore him on our most enjoyable moments. We try to manipulate truths about God to justify our own views 
opinions, or feelings. We constantly try to kick him off the throne of our hearts, and we try to push him out of our lives, and yet his love is constant and it's fierce and unyielding. God loves you. God loves us. And that was his motive to go to the cross, was his love for us because he loved us. Just a few other verses that touch on the same type of theme. In Ephesians 5, 2, it says, Walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us. Christ loved us and he laid down his life on our behalf because he loves us. Romans 5, 8, God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Jesus did not wait for us to clean up our act. Jesus didn't wait for us to get our uh, life together. But while we were sinners, he died for us. He saw us drowning in our sins and he plunged into the depth of humanity to rescue us because we could never rescue ourselves even though we were in a rebellious state. That's the depth of God's love for us. John 15, 13 says, Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. The greatest sacrifice that was ever given to humanity was our Savior dying on a cross for our sins. And he loves us. He wants relationship with us. What's so sad is even to this day, and and there might be some of you still stuck here, is that you can do all the religious activities. You can go to church. You can faithfully tithe. You can serve in the ministries. You can, I mean, you can miss like no Sundays and still not actually know the Lord. Still not actually know the Lord. You're just doing religious activity. It's relationship. One of, one, of the, one of the scariest verses for me in Scripture is this picture of the end times when humanity is gathered before Christ and there are people that are going to be saying, we did all this religious activity with you in mind. And he's going to say, depart from me. I never knew you. I never knew you. You, you could study the biography of the current president of the United States in any given four-year term, learn everything about their lives. If you show up to a little booth outside the White House and say, hi, I'm here to see the president. Really? Oh, yeah, I know him. I know his birthday, his favorite color, I know his dog's names, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And they tell the president, oh, yeah, Aaron Cooper's here to see you. He's going to be like, who? I don't know that person. So there's this relationship, and that relationship is motivating for us. Paul's understanding of that reality led him to pen this powerful statement that I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Like Christ wants to be in, he doesn't want to dwell in people he hates. He wants to come live inside the people he loves. Christ lives in me, and the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Before following Jesus, Paul was a very religious man, a Pharisee, self-righteous, law-abiding, rule-following man, but he did know the Lord. 
and he had a supernatural spiritual encounter with the resurrected Jesus Christ that changed his life and transformed him. And Christ came to live inside of him and used him as his vessel. And now that life he lives, he gladly lives in Christ. Not a perfect life, not a life without failure, not a life without moments that he wasn't the man he should have been. There's, there's a place in Romans where he says, why do I do the things I shouldn't do? And why don't I do the things I should do? Like, he was far from perfect, but he knew his Savior. And he had a relationship with him. And so when it comes to faith in Jesus, we are unified. When we, when we follow Christ, we're unified with Christ in his life, his death, and his resurrection. We spiritually participate with Jesus in his crucifixion and his victory over sin and death. And so therefore, our old selves are buried, gone, dead. And Jesus has freed us to be born again to a new life. Not perfect, not without failure, but a completely different transformed life than we had before Christ. And so following Jesus out of love for him, living on mission for Jesus out of love for him is a relational motivation. We don't, we don't follow Jesus. We don't say no to the things we know we should say no to. We don't say yes to the things we know we're supposed to say yes to out of obligation. We do it out of relationship. It's a relational motive. And so we're motivated to live for Christ because we've been made right with God. And we're motivated to live for Christ because he loves us and he gave himself for us. We have a legal motivation. We've got a relational motivation. And lastly, what we see here is we have an ongoing motive. This isn't, there's no expiration date on how long we're supposed to faithfully follow Jesus, right? If, if we just looked at Galatians 2.20, but if you zoom out and look at 19 and 21 around it, for, though, for through the law, I died to the law so that I might live to God. I've been crucified with Christ. No longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. In the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loves me and gave himself for me. I do not nullify the grace of God. For if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. We are continued to be motivated to live for Christ because our faith in him compels us to do so. Christ who lives in me now, who directs and empowers me now, and gives me strength and purpose to live my life now is an ongoing endeavor. And so today, we need to live our lives by faith in the Son of God. Tomorrow, we need to live by faith in the Son of God. The day after that, the weeks, months, and years after that, until we take our last breath, until, or until Jesus returns, we are to live our lives by faith in the Son of God. And that's what's so hard because at some point we go, time out here. You don't, you don't know what I'm going through. You don't know what I'm wrestling with. You don't know how bad I've messed up or this hardship, this pain that's in my life. And what happens in those moments is we're tempted to settle for a weak theology, a fragile theology, and spiritual superstition. And we actually go back to more of a works, karma type mindset, which is not biblical worldview. Man, bad things are happening to me. God must not see me. God must not love me. God doesn't care. Whenever we're tempted to fall into that place of, I'm going through hard things, God doesn't see me. God doesn't love me. God doesn't care. We're succumbing to um, a fragile theology. 
Because if you go back to this passage, it says, this life I now live in the, what's the next word? The life I now live in the flesh. Let's not forget, flesh is weak. Flesh is fallen. Flesh is broken. So this life that we live in the weak, fallen, broken flesh is going to endure hardship and pain and brokenness. Physical health is going to work against us. Mental health is going to work against us. Emotional health is going to work against us. The physical, mental, emotional health of others is going to work against us. And we can't decide to settle for a fragile theology. Well, God doesn't care. We have to remember, what did Jesus do to win us over? He died on a cross. What did he endure to express his love for you and for me? What can we endure as we express our love and faithfulness to him? And it's so easy to be like, what did I do? Why, is this, why are these bad things happening to me? Why, why is God not delivering me from this pain and this hardship? And there's times when he does, and there's times when he allows that pain and hardship to remain to build you into the man or woman of God that he wants you to be. And so this is an ongoing motive. Life in the flesh. Christ is always with us, even when our flesh is struggling. And so we have no expiration date on this faithfulness to follow the Lord. Romans 12.1 says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. We're a living sacrifice. If you've been in church a long time, you've heard a phrase, the problem with a living sacrifice is it likes to crawl off the altar. Right? But we're, our worship is done through the way we live our lives, day by day, battle by battle, moment by moment, pushing through as we trust the Lord. Romans 6 says, We were buried therefore with him by baptism into death, in order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead, by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in the newness of life. Us following Christ is a constant walk. There are times we trip. There are times we stumble. But we get back up and we keep going. Trusting Christ. So we, we have this legal motive. He made us right with him. We have this relational motive. He loves us. He laid his life down for us. And this life that we live, it's an ongoing devotion. We live this life in the flesh, faithful to the Lord. Our faith compels us to do so. So again, there's a lot of believers who might find themselves quick to say, look, at the end of the day, if, if they come to threaten harm against me, even threaten me with death, I'll, I'll die for Christ. I'll die for my faith. A lot of us are there. But the bigger question I propose today is this, but are we willing to live for Christ? It's easy to die for Christ. It's a painful moment and then it's gone and then you're in the presence of the Lord. Living for Christ is a daily battle. It's actually harder to do. But we have to do it because we love for Christ. Dying with Christ means living for Christ. And the reason some of us are struggling with emptiness in our lives or a vacancy in our lives, this, this pit inside of us that no paycheck will ever take away, no sense of accomplishment will ever take away, um, no accolades of other people will ever take away, finding that perfect guy, that perfect girl won't take it away, getting whatever your heart desires most, 
that the world has to offer isn't going to take it away. You just need Christ in your life. And so if you've never given your life to Christ, if you've never recognized and realized that God loves you and that your sin is a barrier to having a relationship with God and it's starting to click, that if you put your faith in Christ, not the yoke of works and religious activity, but trusting in Christ alone, if you've never done that, then talk to me afterwards. Myself and a few others will be hanging out over here. We'd love to tell you how you can put your faith in Christ. But some of you are followers of Christ, and you're going, but why do I feel emptiness? Why do I feel like there's a vacancy in my life? It's because maybe you have Christ in you, but you live like you don't. And so maybe God has you here today listening to this as a reminder that living for him is a laying down of your own desires, a laying down of surrender of that which is competing for Christ in your life and heart. And to come back to motivate you because he's made you right with him through Christ, because he loves you and dies for you, and because he wants you to faithfully live for him forever. Here's a declaration of thought I want to invite you guys all to process here. Christ living in me means what? After all that you've heard, this whole concept of Christ living in you, how would you fill in that blank? Christ living in me means what? I want you to think about what word or phrase you would put there, okay? Christ living in me means what? And here's what I'm going to push on us as a community, all right? This is not a spectator opportunity when we come to church. I'm going to give you guys about 30 to 60 seconds to share with the person next to you how you would fill in that blank. What word or phrase comes to mind? While they do that, I'm going to invite the worship team to join me back up here. And so take the next 30 to 60 seconds. What word or phrase would you use to fill in that blank? And if you see someone trying to like just sit there by themselves and not make eye contact, go get, to, go get them, all right? 30 to 60 seconds, go. What word or phrase would you use? So here's some noise. Ten seconds. Okay. I hope that was encouraging as you heard what other people were saying. I know for me, one of the things I can put in that statement, Christ living in me means he gives me power to do things that scare me. There are certain things, there are certain conversations I don't want to have. There are certain acts of obedience I really don't want to do. They scare me, but Christ living in me gives me the strength to do the things that scare me. That's one thing that comes to my mind. Uh, as you prepare to leave here, and one of the things we say is, you know, um, you're not leaving church. Church is leaving the building. How can you take what you've heard today and bring it to life? Let the Holy Spirit guide you in that. One thing that's helped me, and I encourage you to think about, memorize Galatians 2.20. It's an awesome verse. And next time you're tempted to resist Christ, live for self, quote it. I've been crucified with Christ, right? It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. In this life that I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loves me and gave himself for me. 
It's an anchor. It's an anchor to hold you fast when the world, the flesh, your own feelings want to pull you away from that. And so I just pray that today helps you come back to this motivation to live for Christ um, because he loves us. So let's stand. I want to pray, and then uh, we're going to declare this to the Lord. Father, thank you so much for this reminder. Thank you that you freed us from the burden of trying to just be law-abiding, obedient, (laughs) religious people. But that motivation of a relationship with you, the fact that you're living in us, you want to live through us. God, let those things be so helpful to us to motivate us to live for you. God, the fact that you've made us right, forgiven, free. God, thank you for that reminder today. May you renew in us a spirit of faithfulness to live for you no matter what this life brings. We ask that in Jesus' name. We all said. In just a moment, we'll rejoin our pastor for today's closing thoughts. But first, we wanted to thank you for tuning in. North Bible Church is located in Scottsdale, Arizona, and exists to equip all generations to love God, love one another, and love the world. For more information about North, please visit our website at northbiblechurch.com. Now, some closing thoughts from our pastor. So as you get ready to leave today, don't be motivated to follow Christ because of what you have to do for Him. Be motivated more by what He has done for you. Amen? If you need to talk about that, you have some prayer, you want to talk about following Christ, myself, a few others will be over here afterwards. Come find us before you leave. A couple of reminders. Uh, in about 10 or 15 minutes, uh, we're going to have Welcome to North. If you are new here, uh, or newer, we'd love just to hang out with you for a little bit. We've got lunch. You don't have to worry about that. And uh, just tell you a little bit more about North. And that's a great opportunity as a new person. Also, some of you, even if you just heard about it, come back uh, this afternoon at 4. We're going to talk more about how we can share our faith with those who uh, don't know Christ. So with that being said, God bless you guys. Have a great week. Thank you for joining us for this week's message. North Bible Church is located in Scottsdale, Arizona and exists to equip all generations to love God, love one another, and love the world. For more information about North, please visit our website at northbiblechurch.com.